0: Welcome to The Next Step, the podcast for students hosted
1: by Stint. Welcome to the first episode of The Stint Podcast. Please remember that this conversation is for you, Stint students. Today's conversation should be great at providing you a high-level perspective to inform some of your key decisions over the next few years. Today, our guest is Sir Anthony Seldon, a truly incredible person whose career in education As a historian and famously as a biographer makes him incredibly well-placed to provide valuable advice to all of our students. Sir Anthony served as headmaster first at Brighton College and then Wellington College. Most recently he took a step up to higher education where he served as vice chancellor at the University of Buckingham. He has also written over 40 books on contemporary history and is perhaps best known for biographies on numerous prime ministers including Margaret Thatcher, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, David Cameron and most recently Theresa May. Less acclaimed, but perhaps even more pertinent for our conversation today, is his work and teachings on happiness. This is an area we touch on during our conversation and is a truly unique and refreshing approach, which I think you will all enjoy. Thank you for listening. Anthony, hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining the Stint podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. The place I want to go to first is looking a little bit about my own journey and the last two and a half years of my life. I think that there is a direct correlation between my level of confidence in what I'm able to do and you know my skills and my ability, and some of the type of decisions I've made, particularly among you know how aggressive, bold, the type of industry that I went into. You know, I turned down a job to do this, and that, that was obviously based on a level of confidence in my ability. And I would like to start by saying that I think, have you ever explored the role confidence plays in making decisions, but also the fact that most students are 18, 19, 20, 21, and they've only really had exams. And I know your views on exams aren't, you know, you're not typical of a person that spent most of their life in edu- higher education or education. What do you think about the role confidence plays in exa- in making life decisions, especially at this juncture that all of our students will be at now? And what do you think of the role of exams play in being the only obvious metric of where you rank confidence, et cetera, first university students? So,
0: uh, so very nice to be talking to you today. And let's take exams first. Exams are great for those who are great at exams, but many people are not. And... By definition, some will come top, some will be in the middle, and some at the bottom. And If you are in the middle or the bottom, you won't feel so great about your exams. But even if you are at the top, they're not really telling you very much about your ability to get on with the world other than you are good at exams or are good at exams in a certain institution on a certain day in certain subjects. They're not really testing the broad range of your human skills, your personal skills, your self-management skills, your character skills, your ability to analyse and probe uh, problems, and much more. So, I mean, exams are, are, are fine, but we've allowed them to become overly important. And the danger is coming to your second question, confidence, that exams can damage uh, they can give some people a false sense of confidence that they can do things. And, you know, there are vast numbers of people who got uh, top grades at A level, international baccalaureate, uh, who got first from uni, who then find they can't get jobs or they can get jobs, but they can't do them. So they can give people a false sense of confidence. All exams will tell you, for those who come top, is that you're good at exams, unless you're going to. Uh, spend the rest of your life sitting exams, which I'm sure you do very well at. It's not really a particularly transferable skill. So for the others, it has a negative impact on your confidence. And that's a shame because we're far more than our ability to perform at exams. And also confidence is, is really important. So we are recording this when England has just been defeated on its second Test uh, match in in India, confidence for a bowler, for a batsman, for any sportsman, or for for an actor is incredibly important, or, or for a politician making a speech. Uh, and often people are not very thick-skinned. You know, we say uh, stand-up comics have to have the thickest skin of of, of uh, anyone in the world but often they haven't and it's because they haven't that they are funny because they can see things. So uh, confidence is very important. It does need to be built up and nurtured by family and friends and by school systems, but it has also to be grounded on what is real and to have a full sense of confidence you know, some public school kids can have when they get into a world and realise that actually that's kind of a disadvantage rather than an advantage or to have a confidence based on the way you look or your popularity isn't actually going to get you jobs or make you happy. So it needs to be grounded on the things that we are good at and schools are not good at helping us discover what we're good at.
1: I I completely agree and I think that it's gotta be something that we, as a society, we, we try and change in the next 10, 15, 20 years, because there are so many implications that can have on later life. Thinking about, you know, our students today who are, you know, probably applying for grad jobs, deciding what industry to go into this, you know, in a similar boat to me, deciding should I set up a business? I might have a nice idea, probably not. I'm not capable. I'm not talented enough, those type of things. You know, as you said, exams are very good at telling us that we are good at taking exams. Sure, I can't really think of alternatives short of, you know, being in the football team or doing extracurricular activity, or if you're as lucky as I was to have a school that enabled you to do entrepreneurial ventures, something like that. But is there an alternative to exams? Or if you're a university student today, who is maybe low on confidence or wasn't so good at exams, is there anything you can think of that is a substitute to exams in order to give you that confidence to then go on and make decisions that are more aggressive, more in line with your actual talents as opposed to purely exams? Can you think of anything? Because I'm not sure that I can. So, so
0: um, AI, yeah. which is coming increasingly into education, allows the individual learner to interface with the software and to give um, it gives the individual learner personalized learning but also personalized assessments, which will stretch them and discover uh, what they can do. And it goes back over and over the things that, maybe something in mathematics or something in economics, if you're in the sixth form, that you, you don't quite get right. And it keeps presenting the material to help you to learn and then testing you. And what it does is it does away with the need for exams because the real-time assessment, which is also diagnostic and, and helps the student to learn, that's, by the way, very hard for a classroom teacher, particularly if they're large classes, to give every individual te- student the feedback that will help them to realise what they did wrong and to learn from it. And so that is AI will progressively so take over from examinations and allow us to, uh, to, to give everybody back. Real time assessment in everything that you can do. I mean, exams, as we said, don't tell you very much other than your ability to do well at exams. This can tell somebody that maybe they have great linguistic skills, great empathetic skills, maybe they're not so strong in these different kinds of human intelligence, including emotional and social uh, intelligence, physical, creative intelligence, entrepreneurial intelligence, etc. etc. So it, it will give somebody a much greater sense of what they can do not what they can't but what they can do and therefore the confidence that we are agreeing is all important is grounded on the reality of what one does well most kids come out of school most kids come out of university without a clue of what they're good at
1: i know terrifying and i think definitely one of my goals after i've done is to look at our education system and think how can we design it in a more in a way that is truly reflective of the different skills out there. Um, moving slightly away from education and focusing a little bit on upbringing, you know, we hear, I think that the, the narratives that we hear are, put in, are placed in two camps. You've either had a silver spoon in your mouth and that's enabled you to then go on and do great things, or you've come over complete adversity. You've obviously been so well-placed to look at some of the world's greatest leaders and comment on this and some of the most successful people in society outside of politics. Do you think that there is a do you think that's a fair reflection on on the upbringing of these leaders and do you think that you need to have one of those two upbringings to be successful or do are there a lot of people that sit somewhere in between that we just don't really hear about as much and is there anything unique to a background or an upbringing that you know enables someone to go on and achieve success more
0: so uh there have been a lot of studies globally about the characteristics of what make for successful leaders, but very little that you know is conclusive. So with Theresa May and Boris Johnson, two leaders, one after the other in in Britain, utterly different. I mean, one extremely introverted, extremely introverted; the other extremely extroverted. I can leave listeners to guess which is which. One had an extremely limited a uh, restrained background, little or no television, little or no friends, uh, really quite humble and church going, brought up in a a bio-vicar, and very constrained, no siblings. The other extraordinarily extrovert and decadent. But it's interesting that uh, adversity does often play a, a factor in the background. So if you look at British prime ministers, In the 19th and early 20th century, 70% of them lost a parent uh, when they were young, one or both parents. And we can see that in many leaders, adversity, which can either make or break you, I mean, sadly, it breaks many people, but it can make you, it, it makes you stronger and makes you more determined to rise above the pack. You know, and leaders are not just people who are there, you know, in the pub garden uh, with mates. You know, they are maybe leaving the pub early because they want to get ready for a job interview or want to finish something. You know, they, 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 they're slight loners. They're slight outsiders. They are slightly different uh, people. So, you know, there's a cost to it. It's psychologically very damaging often to be a, a leader and for the family, those people around them. So they are psychologically, they're outliers, but I don't think, because this is a science, this is not a physical science like epidemiology, this is a social science, I don't think we'll ever really know exactly what it is that makes some people want to be leaders, but they are different, they're slight, they are psychological outliers
1: do you think that obviously you've spent so much of your time with students that have gone on to do great things you know the alumni from your schools are extraordinary do you think if you had spent if you had well, maybe you did if you saw some of these prime ministers and the leaders at a young age you could you'd be sit there and say okay yes i know you're going to go on and do great things is is success preordained and what i'm trying to get to here with this question is those students that are listening to this that are thinking I don't feel like that. I don't think my success is preordained. Does that matter?
0: Well, I would say to the students, don't feel that you've got to be Bill Gates or don't feel you've got to be the prime minister or chief executive or play for Scotland or whatever country you are from. And if not, your life's a failure because happiness and fulfillment comes not from getting to the top, but being the best that you can be. Uh, and that's a really important lesson because many people make themselves extremely unhappy because they set unrealistic expectations. Often, people benchmark themselves against their siblings. Okay, and you've got a very irritating brother or sister who you know finds things effortlessly easy and you know has done this and that, and and everyone blabs on about them all the time. Forget it, you know. Forget, forget it. They are them, and you are you. So I think that a uh, point one don't try and be anybody else. Point two, don't set yourself in possible expectations because you will be disappointed. Three, find out what you're really good at yourself and what you love to do. And it, hey, you know, it might be that you finish up, you know, at the age of 50 as a middle-ranking person in a middle-ranking outfit. Is that better than to be at the top of something else, but to be on your fourth marriage and to have a really unhappy life and to have narcotic addictions and whatever's, you know, and you have to recognize, which we said the education system is not very good at, uh, recognize what, you know, you love to do and what you are are good at. Psychometric tests and other, going to talk to counselors and um, advisors can be helpful in helping you sort it out. But for anybody, I'm just saying very, very adamantly and clearly having spent my life, yeah, I was a young person myself and then having spent 25 years, looking after organizations, schools and the uni, looking after young people, that the best thing is to recognize what you're good at and go for it and just accept that, you know, you might not hit the stars, you know, it's better to be in a second 11 netball, second to seven, sorry, I've uh, in seven netball team than to be in the first, but to be constantly anxious about holding your place. You know, We do best when we fulfill ourselves and fulfill our dreams and our talents, not other people's expectations of
1: us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think finding that is incredibly difficult. And I think, you know, of all the things school lacks, schools don't teach you how to do that. They don't even teach you that that's the aim, to be honest with you. But well, certainly my school didn't do that. Um, and I think one of the, my favourite ever quotes is Oscar Wilde, you know, be yourself, everybody else has already taken And I think that's exactly what you're, you're yeah, advocating I didn't there. I
0: know that, that's very funny.
1: Yeah, I love he, it. I love he it. was so clever. I, I can't tell you I know that much about him. I did study the importance of being honest, but that's the extent yeah. of it. And, and there are a few, a few gems that he has. Um, I think the other theme that you were getting to there was this role of happiness in our lives. And I suppose I've always been a bit strange and so I I asked myself that question pretty early on and I realized that my happiness is dictated by projects by a sense of accomplishment a sense of achievement you know building something and seeing that all the way through I I love listening to your to your work on happiness and as I said beforehand the work on meditation that was I still need definitely more work but I'm I'm very keen to explore that further what do you think students today in terms of a practical next step or practical steps they could be taking or practical things to think about that they could be doing at 18, 19, 20, 21 to ensure they live a very happy life? Are there things we can do right now to make sure that we live a happier life at 50, 60, 70, 40, you know, later on? Um,
0: Yeah, definitely. And the first thing is to recognise that you have to be an actor in your own life. You can't be a victim. It's easy to say, you know, I've had this disadvantage, I had this tragedy in my life my boyfriend's chucked me, um, I didn't get into Durham, I, whatever, you know, and to feel a sense of failure, and then you then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. So it's really important to build a list of all the things that you have got that you're good at. You know, are you healthy? Yes or no? Well, that's really you know, incredibly important thing. And to, to, to see the things that you're good at, that you have going for you, because the human mind is hardwired to concentrate on the negative and the anxious and the things you don't have, rather than to acknowledge the things you do have. So that's important. And then it's important to recognize that, you know, we can make mistakes. For example, one in seven people have an addictive gene. Now, uh, it might be to gambling, it might be to sex, it might be to alcohol, it might be to shopping, whatever it is. And, it, you know, and of course, it's not those one-sevenths have it and six-sevenths don't. You know, it's it's a blend, everybody does to some extent, but those one-sevenths have it much more. You know, we need to be careful about our addictions. And if age 18, 19, 20, 21, One is endlessly going, hitting the bottle, for example, then you are not going to be helping yourself. But if you establish good habits, like to take the most simple one, physical exercise, if you ensure that you are getting an hour of exercise a day, you know, walking, it's perfectly possible to talk to your mates on the phone when you're walking around, get a step thing on your phone if you haven't already got it, and so that you can um, check how far you're walking, set yourselves targets. You know, this is about building good habits. So I think, Sol, that's really important. Don't let yourself fall into bad habits. Let yours build up good habits that are going to nourish you for life. Find good people to be with, not people who are going to be preying on your weaknesses and dragging you. Uh, down or dragging you to places where you don't feel comfortable going because that is going to be a bottomless pit for you. You know, we are authors of our own life story. And the choices that we make, even if we don't acknowledge them, are building us as either stronger people, and happier people, or weaker people. And just taking your body, you know, the more you look after your body, you know, you don't put rubbish into it but you exercise it, you stretch it, you nourish it, you hydrate it, you rest it. Your body then becomes a great friend and it's much easier to have positive mental health if you are caring for your body and looking after it and nourishing it then with emotional friendships which sustain it. So those are things that we can be doing, I think.
1: I love that answer again. I think that one thing, if I was to summarize, you know, that it's being proactive about your life choices and not not let life go past by you. It's it's make active decisions and make those decisions be positive. I think we spoke a little. Well, you spoke a lot about, you know, the body and you know doing things that are good for your body. But one thing that I'm seeing that, to be honest with you, I'm absolutely petrified of, is social media and the impact social media has on so many people. Obviously, there's you know primarily this you know the rise in depression, the rise in mental health which I think is so directly fueled by Instagram, Snapchat, and social media in general, but those two in particular. Are you concerned about, you know, my generation? I'm, I we see things I like, you know I mentioned the primary focuses the second theory focuses is this generic concept of life is always better on the other side. And that's that's shown in I think relationships that's like our generation is the generation that's, you know, has more partners than most. I think equally it's the generation we'd have lots of different jobs. We no longer want to stay in a job for 10 years, 20 years. It's always two, three, four, you know, and so on and so forth. We're always seeking something more. And I think that's so directly linked to, to social media. Um, I recently went off social media what, for three years. I got back onto it a few months ago and I would say that I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty secure, all of these things. I can't tell you the impact it had on me even without realizing it. What do you think of of, of the rise of social media and the impact that has on our future happiness?
0: Okay, so I see it as like alcohol. So there are some people who simply can't do alcohol at all or drugs that it, you just know it's bad for you, in which case keep away from it. But there are other people who compare it with alcohol who can use it as an enhancement and with discrimination and with orders. You know, you don't drink before six, I mean, or seven, and it's just a good rule. I mean, the odd lunch may be, but you know, and you don't drink close to going to bed because it you're up all night peeing, but also it actually does disturb your sleep. So you you just learn to use social media rather than be used by it. You learn to use alcohol, you know, you decide, does alcohol work for me? Yes, no. And if it's yes, but you then got to be in charge of it. So you set the limits and you stick to it. And actually getting wasted on alcohol is a slippery slope and getting wasted on social media or the, the social media equivalent to being wasted is actually not a good thing to do. And you then try and claw your way back with it. And it just, you know, it is like, it's it's a drug. And you simply just have to learn to make that work.
1: Again, same, same sort of advice, you know, be proactive with the stuff. Don't just sit back and let social media take you and be a user, you use social media and you use alcohol and all of these things. Okay, I like that. Obviously, I could speak to you for hours. Just a, a last, a last small thing to, just to wrap up. If you are a student today, or I know you have kids, I don't know how old they are, but if you are if you're giving advice to a, an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, even older, where would you guide them? Um, in any, and you could take that question in any way you want, you know, academically, not academically, industry, sector, life choices, mindfulness. What's the one message you would give to someone today at that age group?
0: Okay. What a fantastic age to be, and with the world before you. Um, And I think it is doing things which are harmonious with you, finding out what is good for you, and what nourishes you and sustains you, what activities, uh, which people nourish you and sustain you, what kind of subjects, what kind of activities and it's going with the good, you know? Life is about the sovereignty of the good. And if you go with the good, the harmonious, the natural, uh, the building, you will find that you are building towards that person you want to be. You will never get there, by the way, you know, life is just, um, you know, people who say that they've made it at the age and retired at the age of 43, often dead by the time they're 45 or, or you know that, that, that they're just bored to tears by the age of 45. Life is just a constantly evolving sense of learning. Always do things that learn uh, that challenge you. find your challenge limit. Don't make things too easy, but don't set yourself impossible challenges. you know don't head for K2 if you've only just uh, taken up mountaineering, you know leave K2 or Everest the next summer just make it fun, make it graduated. Don't be, you know, be demanding on yourself, but not too hard on yourself. It's about just finding that perfect mean. And Hey, you know, it's fine to fail. It's fine not to get into that uni, not to get a first, not to get that job, not to go out with that person, not to be in that this or that group and set the limits for yourself. Make certain you're in charge of your social media, of your consumption of whatever it is that you're doing so that you know that you are thinking medium long term rather than just the next blast tonight and good luck hey hey it's a fantastic thing you know life there might be something better out there but you know uh there's nothing better that i've discovered in my life than life than living itself and just
1: love it i think we need so many leaders to be echoing these words nothing you say is extraordinary, radical, it's just refreshing. And I think that says it all. Um, I think that's
0: right, Sol. I think partly we think everything. I mean, my own economics tutor at uni said, the problem with you, Anthony, is you're always trying to strive too hard. He said, the best is the enemy of the good. I didn't quite understand him what he at the time, but what he meant was, don't try and hit the stars, you know, just hey, just accept yourself. Yeah, and I think that's the note I'd probably finish on, just... Aim for the stars, but just accept whatever
1: happens. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really, you really. very much. It's
0: really enjoyed it. And good luck, everybody. Nice to be on.